Hello and welcome to the Van der Sanden Together We Build Greatness podcast series. So I'm Matt Davies, the National Specification Manager here at Van der Sanden, and I'll be joined again by my colleague today in ROBA Chartered Architect and Head of Technical here in the UK, Sarah Jefferson. So in this series, we're going to be discussing and exploring all things brick, bringing you some insights, innovations, bit of history, latest trends, techniques, but above all, some inspiration. So previously, uh, we discussed some of the current trends using brickwork, and this time we just thought it would be interesting to discuss clay as a building material, just to give it a bit more of an understanding. Whilst looking back at some of the history of clay brick, just to see how it's been used over the centuries, looking at some of the trends that have been used, and then possibly coming back full circle to what we're seeing and possibly experiencing that resurgent in designing with brick now. So we'll start with uh, looking at brick and they and they say that clay brick is that perfect blend of earth, air, fire and water, plus some other elements um, such as sand to create that perfect module that can be used in an external cladding for your buildings. So a quote I found whilst I was researching for the podcast series was um, something that architect Louis Kahn used to tell his students. Um, and he said that you should talk to a material and ask it for advice if you're stuck for inspiration. Um, for example, you say to a brick, uh, what do you want, brick? And a brick says to you, I like an arch. You say to the brick, look, I want one too, but arches are expensive and I could use a concrete lintel. Uh, and then you say, what do you think, brick? And a brick says to you, I like an arch. And I suppose for me, that really supports Khan's view that a brick in particular wants to be something special. It wants to be something unique. And again, just highlights the range of possibilities that are available when it comes to designing with brick. So if we go right back to the origins of brick, uh, they've sort of been used really since the 7000 BC. I mean, the Egyptians used them as well. And, and Sarah, do you, want, do you want to come in and just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, great quote, isn't it? That from Louis Kahn. <laughs> um, yeah, but brick, well, yes, it's uh, one of the oldest, oldest building materials. And um, bricks, well, you know, they started off by literally man taking mud, taking clay, mm. forming them into a unit, then just baking it in the sun and then building up with that. And I suppose it's still done in certain parts of the world. Yeah. But of course, you know, as soon as it rains, then it all dissolves and uh, you've got to go through the same process again. So um, it's not great. There needed to be improvement. I know that the Egyptians were the first to make bricks um, made with clay and then mixing that with straw to add a bit of extra strength. Okay. And I believe fired bricks started from about three and a half thousand BC, which allowed bricks then to be made in, in cooler climates and, mm. uh, and used there. Um, so I suppose that brings us on to the Romans, who, of course, yeah. moved northwards. And they were really, really prolific in their use of bricks. And there are examples still standing of all sorts of walls, forts, arches, vaults, aqueducts from the all over the Roman Empire. And um, apparently they used mobile kilns. Um, oh, wow. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were just so innovative, weren't they? Just amazing yeah, in the, the engineering that they put into everything. And one of my favourite examples of a series of Roman structures, partly brick, partly stone, is at mm. Trier in Germany, where you okay. really have got some uh, 
yes, very, very well-preserved Roman structures. Mm. I'm sure there's been repaired, you know, over the, yeah. over the centuries. But um, nevertheless, I think it's a, a pretty good example. Yeah, definitely. And well, yeah, hopefully it gives it gives the listeners an idea of if they fancy a trip to look at some fantastic brick architecture as well, then then there there we know where to go. So, yeah, you mentioned that, that Romans were pretty prolific with their, with their brick. I mean, they also used, I suppose, in, in quite quite a decent capacity, linear bricks as well, which we're kind of seeing come back around in, in a full circle here in the UK with architects and specifiers looking at that sort of longer format. Um, shorter course height to try and give a bit more clay. I mean, any any particular comments on that at all? Yes, I should have mentioned that, Matt, that, yes, of course, what we often now refer to as Roman brick is that mm. long, thin brick, um, which gives a, a very particular um, look to, to brick structures. Um, and also another thing I should have mentioned is that the Romans, I believe, were the first people to use a voussoir, yeah. a tapered brick or a tapered stone to allow you to get equal width mortar joints. Mm. Although actually going back to the example in Trier I mentioned, in many of the arches there, they don't use voussoirs. They do just use very, very long, thin bricks okay. and then quite uh, wide tapered joints. Mm. So I suppose, um, yeah, it depends where you are in the former Roman Empire as to what you see. Yeah. No, definitely. And and I suppose, again, it just really highlights that flexibility of brick. I mean, the Romans obviously thought that from such an early stage as well, didn't they? The fact mm-hmm. that they were looking at using these different sizes, different modules, the voussoir itself, they realised that, that clay really lended itself to that sort of pliability and and, and shaping facilities that, they, that we really see which in some of that fantastic Romanesque architecture. Um, exactly forming mm. different shapes yeah yeah so yeah i suppose now if we move on to i suppose 12th century next and that gothic period where that sort of next resurgence in brick particularly along northern europe sort of started to come in did you want to discuss in a bit more detail yeah uh, yeah i mean after you know the fall of the roman empire then sort of brick brick making just disappeared really apart mm. from it continued in italy under the byzantine empire And then we see a resurgence in the 11th and 12th centuries in France, northern Germany. And, Mm. you know, there are fantastic examples of Gothic red brick buildings dating from that period onwards in parts of Scandinavia, Poland, Germany, I've already mentioned France. And of course, the Low Countries. How can Mm. I forget them Um, (laughs) in in that example? uh, Yes. So um, we start to see a lot more. And I suppose that, again, if, if we kind of jump ahead a little bit to that 19th century sort of architects like William Butterfield were using and taking examples and influence from that period as well, weren't they? Oh, very, very much with the Victorian Gothic architecture. So you've got, as you've mentioned, William Butterfield, um, GE Street and many, mm. many more Victorian architects um, using uh, quite a lot of polychromatic uh, brickwork. Yeah. Um, the diamond pattern often known as a diaper pattern and brickwork lots and lots of detail um to and of course other gothic features too yeah and i suppose that's when the first glazed bricks came along as well i suppose and if we think about glazed headers used used around the uk pretty popular in sort of gable ends and like you said that sort of trying to create patterns within the brickwork Um, Mm -hmm. and again we go that's kind of doing full circle isn't it and and coming back around again with architects and specifiers wanting to use glazed brick in their buildings. I mean, have, have you got any particular experiences regarding glazed? 
Well, glazed brick, of course, just brings a whole other dimension. And often people can look at, at glazed brick buildings or even where they're just used as features, such as you've um, cited there, Matt, with glazed mm. headers. And they don't always um, sort of recognise it as being a, a brick. But of course, no. it is It is just a clay brick that happens to be glazed yeah. because you can just produce well, pretty much any colour at all um, that you're looking for and you could just endless, endless possibilities of what to, yeah. what you can achieve in terms of hue, colour, whether you want to have contrast or um, a, a gradual change from one colour to another yeah. or just stick with uh, one colour and then various different shades of it. Yeah, there's just so much, so many possibilities with glazed brick these days, isn't there? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if we, I suppose, moving on now to the 16th century, Renaissance architecture that we that we see around, sort of, I suppose, noticeable landmarks, sort of Hampton Court, St. James's Palace, all from sort of Henry VIII's time. Mm -hmm. um, did you want to sort of give a bit of an idea around that? I know you're a big fan yeah. of Hampton Court. Oh, I love Hampton Court. Um, I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic. So for mm. anyone who's not been do go and have a look, particularly at the older part of the building in terms of the brickwork yeah. and the chimneys. Um, they are just one of the finest examples of uh, mm. intricate um, brickwork from that that date, really, of the, the chimneys at Hampton Court. Um, so, yes, that is a, a wonderful example. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it is a fantastic looking brick building, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, from that side. And you just think how long ago it was it was made as well and, and the architecture that's gone in into it at that time and we'll come on to discuss sort of capacity capacity and manufacturing a little bit later on but yeah, yeah it sort of really gives you an idea of the time scales potentially that are involved to create something so fantastic so yeah i suppose it goes back to those modern day architects and what they're looking for and and when they're using brick and, and that element of creativity that we have and just again that ability to have these different shapes and particularly with sort of cut and bond options that are available now there, there really are just endless possibilities when, we, when you're looking to try and create something unique in a building when, when you're using brick. And yeah, some of just some of the textures that you can create now across a facade from sort of brick projection, which we discussed a little bit in the last in the previous um, podcast to other other forms of creating texture as well and using brick itself to to create some texture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there's just one one other thing I wanted to mention at this stage is we're kind of going through through history and um you know that is sort of moving on to the 17th century and the significance of brick in relation to the great fire of london mm. yeah definitely. and um you know following that of course uh, everyone was looking for a non-combustible material to rebuild london with mm. and brick really came to the fore and well in many ways of course that's exactly what we're looking for today it's very yeah. very relevant um that that fire is still a major major threat and in building we're looking towards um non-combustible materials all the time so mm. you know it's just another reason why brick is just continues to be so popular yeah and i, I suppose just to let the listeners know fire rating of a, of a brick sarah yeah a1 non-combustible so, yeah. so. highest highest that we can achieve isn't it can't so. can't get better than that so yeah, uh, yeah sort of gives brick. specifiers a bit of confidence there doesn't it if, if they're looking yeah. to specify definitely Definitely. Fantastic. So, yeah, if we move on to Victorian architecture now, and then I suppose we're going a bit of a full circle, that Gothic influence is coming back in again. Any, yeah. any particular okay. notes on this? 
Yeah, so we've I think we've already mentioned um, some of the great church uh, architects mm. of the Victorian age, but then there are many many other types of buildings to to look at from that era. So there were some wonderful railway stations. I'm a big fan of of railway architecture. Mm. Of course, school buildings, many, you know, quite humble village schools built in the yeah. Victorian era, you know, can be just quite beautiful, small structures in themselves, mm. What you know, worth worth having a look at. Um, and of course, lots of civic buildings as well, yeah. buildings really showing um, pride and importance um, mm. in their particular locality. So um, lots to look at from the Victorian era in Brick. Yeah, and again, that, that sort of comes quite nicely then into that industrial revolution and 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 the, and the element of brick production that I've, I've vaguely touched on earlier in the podcast. Um, so yeah, up until eighteen fifty five, all bricks are actually made by hand, and then at the, and that point of the and the turn of the industrial revolution, machines and automation started to come in, and that's probably where those imp- really impressive structures started to really sort of take their sort of lead in in, uh, in UK architecture. And if we sort of just give you some context with this, so the average handmaker back at that time was making around sort of 36,000 bricks per week. And then with this automation that's coming in, it went up to 12,000 per day. So that's nearly 100,000 bricks a week. So there was a massive increase then um, in terms of capabilities in, in brick. To give you some context now into where where we are in modern day production facilities. So most up-to-date uh, factories now are looking at producing between anywhere between half a million to a million bricks at a time so you can see again how automation has gone one step further into where we are at the moment Um, and I suppose the other benefit that we get from technology that it really just gives art that brick architecture a boost and and that is probably why we're seeing that resurgence of it coming back as that go-to cladding material with so many specifiers. Yes I mean from the production methods and I I won't go into all of that now because I know that Mm. we'll uh, be talking about those another time but uh, yes I mean we still make bricks by hand of course and that gives Mm. them wonderful wonderful character and texture Um, you know liken them to the difference between handmade homemade handmade cakes or biscuits and uh, you know uh, shop bought shop bought ones it's a kind of similar thing and then of course you've got the mass production equally beautiful in their own way it just depends what you're looking for what the aesthetic is but the fact that there are so many options there Mm. um, is the great thing yeah and and again if you ever get the opportunity to go and visit a handmaking facility it's, it's again pretty impressive to go and see these guys throwing clay in, into a mould and and then just having a look at just the delicate textures that are produced in, under this method. And as Sarah said, with machine automation, there is a, such a variety of texture available, uh, particularly on something like a stock brick or a hand-formed brick. You can achieve really deep levels of creasing. But yeah, those handmade bricks just offer something special, I, I certainly think. Yes, the, the craftsmanship and the pride that mm. uh, people take in in making them, um, yeah, going around a brick factory and seeing that um, is, yeah, a really good experience. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so yeah, if we sort of moving towards the end, the end of the podcast, so if when we look at sort of architecture, what do we think sort of architects and designers are, 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 like, are liking about clay, uh, I suppose, as a building material? Um, and why are we seeing it sort of come around full circle again and, and being used so so often in uh, throughout history what, what do we what do we think are the main reasons for that Sarah? 
Well, I think uh, one of the factors certainly is the durability of brick and the fact that it does look very, very good for you know years and years and years after mm. the building has been constructed. Whereas, um, you know, a few decades ago when there was a fashion for using multiple materials, even in quite small uh, buildings, um, some of those other materials haven't weathered so well. And yeah. I think, you know, that's one of the reasons also, of course, in terms of context, there is a lot of brick in this country. Mm. So it does fit very, very well into um, context here. Then if we're looking about, um, you know, the thermal mass that it can add to a building. Yeah. Uh, flexibility we've talked about, um, I think, already. Yeah, but very, shapes. very important. Yeah, all different shapes. And then um, one thing we haven't really touched on is sustainability and the, mm. the circularity that brick um potentially offers so um without going into too much detail at this stage if you're using a lime mortar then it is actually possible to deconstruct a brick structure and reuse the whole bricks mm. so that's one aspect if you've constructed a building with modern cement mortars then it's more difficult to deconstruct those bricks and actually remove the mortar fully from the brick. But the brick, of course, can be crushed down and, yeah. uh, and reused in, in other ways. So, um, yeah, there's much more we can talk about there, but I don't want to stray too much into other subjects at this stage. No, that's fair <laughs> enough. I mean, and you, you sort of touched on mortar bri very briefly then, um, but I suppose mortar, it, it's just as important really as, as the brick itself, isn't it? And if we go right back to the it start is. where we said that um, the, the Romans were using longer looking bricks, they obviously wanted to achieve a certain aesthetic with that and, and in relation to their mortar joints and the appearance that it gives. I mean, from my experience, sometimes mortar, with, particularly with specifiers, can be something that is it's not necessarily forgotten about, but it's kind of left until the last minute when it comes to the detailing element of brick. But it, it really is hugely important, isn't it, Sarah, on how it actually can affect the colour of the brick? It, it is. I mean, typically, I think it's between 10 and 20 percent of an area of brickwork. And that's going mm. to depend on the brick format and the brick bond that you've used. But typically, it's that proportion of the facade um, that is, is mortar. So the mortar joint profile and the colour of the mortar is so, so important in how you perceive the brick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very important point, Matt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and as, as manufacturers, manufacturers are supplying reference panels. For, for specifiers on site now i mean any any well just want to run through some of the benefits i suppose sarah of of, of these reference panels and, and how they can help your projects okay right reference panel vitally important to build one on site at the outset of a project build it in a location where it's not going to get hidden away but it really will serve its purpose mm. as a reference panel throughout the brickwork build and um, when it's built of course that is the opportunity to get the agreed standard of workmanship there to make sure that you have got the mortar joint profile and mortar colour yeah. as you want it and then in the build itself that you're going to get um, exactly what you want to achieve. Mm, definitely. So yeah, for, from an architect's point of view then, I suppose some some of the benefits of, uh, of using brick and, 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 and trying to just understand a little bit about what, what it can offer you as a designer I mean, obviously, you've got that tactile element where you can really sort of create uh, some fantastic looking 
aspects on a facade um, using brick and obviously physical samples, seeing them in your hand as well. You actually can feel the, the aspect and, and nature of a brick as well. Is there any more that you can think of? Um, I think we've sort of talked around the, the, the main points there. Um, but what I would say is if you're you know, lacking any inspiration, always look back to the past because the inspiration is all there for you, you know, in some of the examples that we've cited. And of course, you know, you can always get in touch with us and we're very happy to suggest examples to look at, not just from the past, but of course, um, uh, from from today as well of, um, to provide inspiration. Well, I think that kind of nicely brings this this podcast uh, episode to a, to its conclusion. And yeah, thank you for listening to the Van der Sanden Together We Build Greatness podcast. Uh, we do hope you found it interesting and informative. And until next time, stay inspired. <laughs>